you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to John chapter 2, which is where we're at today. We're continuing our uh, walk through the Gospel of John uh, here in the Eastertide and throughout uh, Ordinary Time. And um, John 2 picks up where we left off last week, talking about uh, the new that Jesus is bringing. Um, remember, with John the Baptist coming, a new wind is blowing, a new uh, epoch, a new era in God's plan on earth is starting. And so uh, Jesus is doing these these things to show, to demonstrate through signs, and then to tell through his teaching that a new thing is happening. Uh, so last week, the wedding at Cana, we read, and he's at this wedding, and they run out of wine, maybe because of all the fishermen that he brought, and uh, he tells them to fill up these stone jars that were used for ritual washing with water. He then turns that water into the best wine, and it's abundant wine. And it's a sign that shows that the old ways of purification uh, externally are being replaced and are being fulfilled by a new purification by the blood of Christ that is internal, soul deep, heart deep, and purifies us once for all, for all time. You never have to wash your soul again, even if you go roll around in the mud, whatever. Jesus purifies us for all time. Following up on that, there's this kind of transition verse in verse 12, if you're looking, where it says, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Then, after being in Capernaum for a while, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So I want to give a little bit of background before we start diving into the story. We just read the story. You see that Jesus, he begins by clearing the temple. He's throwing out these people who are selling animals and it's, it's not clear exactly at first, if you've never read the story, why is Jesus reacting like this? What is going on? Um, and he tells us in verse 16, he says, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered, either in that moment or later on, the zeal for your house will consume me. Right off the bat, Jesus is showing us that he has a passion for God's house. He has a passion for where God has chosen to dwell. And so embedded within this, there's actually a subtext, there's a backstory that uh, goes all the way back to Genesis. So we have to start there. We have to start with what is behind what Jesus is doing, because when we, we see that backdrop, the story on top of that makes a ton of sense. So, go all the way back. God creates the world. And then he creates animals. And then he creates humans to live in this world. And God is there with them. God intends to dwell with his people. He doesn't create us to be off and do our own thing and then he's far away. He creates us to dwell with him in this place that is to be our home. That is marred. That, that communion, that home reality is broken through sin. And so throughout the Old Testament, throughout the story of Israel, what God is doing is he's creating again for himself a people. He's calling them out of slavery. He calls them out of Egypt, calls them out of sin. And then he creates for them a system where they can once again come back to be in the presence of God. He designs the temple in the book of Exodus. Uh, something like 18 of the 40 chapters are dedicated to the construction of the tabernacle. And what, the, what things they're supposed to do in the tabernacle. And it ends which, with them building it and consecrating it, and then the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. And what's happened? 
God has come to dwell with his people as they're on the move. He's making his home with them in the house. So they travel through the wilderness. It's a long time, 40 years. They go into the promised land. They take over. They uh, establish Jerusalem. And then eventually, under the reign of Solomon, they build the temple. And the glory of the Lord fills the temple permanently. You saw this in our psalm, on the hill that God chose on Zion. It's not the tallest hill in the area. It's the hill he chose. Just like Israel, it's not the biggest nation. They weren't the greatest nation at the time, but he chose them. And he said, I love you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So God is passionate about dwelling with his people. And at the end of the story, at the end of the Bible, do you know how it ends? You know how it ends? We can just go there. There is no temple. No temple anymore. In Revelation 21, 22, I saw that no temp- there was no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. I'm giving away the entire sermon right now. Um, today we're going to see that God's passion for dwelling with us comes forward in Christ. You were made to find your home with God in Christ. God's passion for this creation is to make his home with his people, and you were made to be at home with God in Christ. That's what we're going to see today. And that's the backdrop of this passage. So when you're looking at this passage, remember that. So let's go through it. Let's explain the passage, and then let's step back from it and say, okay, so what for us? So let's look at it. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So this is an annual uh, feast. It's the annual celebration and remembrance of, Christ, of God uh, bringing Israel out of Egypt to Mount Sinai to receive, to ratify the covenant with God, to become his people. He saves them, and they remember that great event of their salvation every year. And everyone is commanded to bring sacrifices and to travel to Jerusalem and there to worship God. So this is a big feast. Everyone's in town. It's kind of like uh, maybe none of you have ever been to Nebraska or lived in Nebraska, but like the largest town in Nebraska is like, I don't know, maybe 150,000 people. It's not very much. Um, but Lincoln, Nebraska, where the University of Nebraska is, it's the third largest city in, in Nebraska. But because all they have there is football and corn, when football is playing, when, fo- when the football team is playing at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, it becomes the biggest town in the entire state because everyone comes to the town and it swells and it becomes the biggest city in the entire state, Right? Same thing here in Jerusalem. Everyone's coming. It's a big deal. This is an annual feast where everyone's coming to the town and it's, it's attracting all these people. It's busy and everyone needs to come to worship God and to sacrifice. So if you're traveling a long way by foot, are you likely to carry your sacrificial animal with you or to walk them the whole way? Not always. Maybe some who come from a medium distance, but if you come from a long distance, you're probably not going to bring it with you. And so it would be common for you to get to the city and then buy your supplies, your animal, whatever, that you're going to come and you're going to sacrifice with and to make your offering there. So they're selling these animals to give to people, or for, not to give to people, they're selling these animals to people who need an animal to sacrifice there in the temple. The money changers, uh, we're going to talk about this in a second. So they were in the temple and he found those, in verse 14, in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. These are all animals that you're allowed to sacrifice under the law. And the money changers sitting there. Okay. 
Um, let's look at these. I've got some images for us to kind of visualize what's going on here. So this is a, a replica done by an uh, institute uh, in Israel of the city uh, of Israel. So it was kind of, oh, there we go. Um, so this is a, a replica of Herod's temple as it would have existed at the time of Jesus. Um, so you've got the big cube of the Holy of Holies, like the holy place and then the Holy of Holies within that. Um, you've got in the front of the big, tall cube, you have the uh, inner courts, okay, within that wall. And then outside of that wall is the outer courts. And you see kind of the passageway with the, with the uh, columns. So the outer courts is most likely where all of this selling and trading would have been done. There isn't really uh, all the priestly stuff, the, the actually killing of the animals and all that stuff is happening inside those, those inner walls. It's within the outer walls that they probably would have made that place a marketplace. Um, all the really important worship stuff is happening inside by the priests. So out here in the outer courts, we're going to sell animals and we're going to exchange money, right? Um, a little bit on that here in a second. The next, uh, next photo is about, uh, is showing us the money at the time. So this is a denarius. This is what the Romans used to pay for things with. Um, they weighed them. They had a specific weight. And so they would come in, someone might come in with a denarius, and you couldn't pay in the temple, you couldn't pay for things with a denarius, with the Roman um, currency. You had to pay with something called a Tyrian shekel. So they would change it, trade it for this thing, a Tyrian shekel. Um, they have, you know, some left over from that time that they've saved. If you have one, it's probably worth a lot of money. So you could probably get that uh, evaluated. But they, uh, they traded him. So what happens when you go in, in, from here and you want to go to Spain or you want to go to anywhere in the EU, you want to go to South America, you exchange currency, right? Same thing. They're changing money. And uh, what happens when you exchange that money with someone? They take something off the top, don't they? Yeah, that's unfortunate. So they had to go in, exchange money. They're traveling. They want to worship God. They're exchanging money. Is there price gouging happening here? Is there extortion? Maybe. Uh, not extortion, but they're... they're um, being really opportunistic and taking more than they really are owed, right? Oh, and here you go at, you know, it's like you go to the, the airport. I flew recently. A bottle of water should be like a dollar. What is it at the airport? Four fifty, something like that. Like it's basically a, a, the price of a meal to get a bottle of water because they know they've got you. You're inside the gate. You couldn't have brought it with you. And here you need water. You've got to pay money for it. So here we are in the outer courts. Hey, do you want to, you, you traveled all this way to Jerusalem. Do you want your cow or not? Um, it's going to be premium. So people are really profiting, most likely, this is what historians and commentators would say, um, it is somewhat conjecture, but Jesus tells us it's become a house of trade, it's become a marketplace, and so people are profiting off of worship. See the conflict of interest there? It's not really uh, um, done in good faith. So Jesus comes in, and uh, you can put up the image of Jesus doing his thing, um, but he comes in, and this is what happens in the next verse. It says, in making a whip of cords or of reeds, he drove them all out of the temple. Like they're all livestock. He treats them like livestock, basically. Drives them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. So the people in there, he starts just wrecking house. He's like, get out of here. This is not what this is for. By the way, that outer court, you know who's supposed to be in that outer court worshiping? Uh, women and Gentiles. And so if it's a marketplace, who doesn't really get to worship or has to do it next to a cow? I think there's probably something going on there too. Jesus is making way for people to come and worship who otherwise are being left out. 
So he drives them all out, and then it says, he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Nice and peaceful and kind of him. And then in verse 16, it says, he told those who sold the pigeons, and this is that statement that we just talked about, take, the, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus is really clear here that his intent is to make a way for worship to happen here without restriction. He's trying to get rid of the distractions. He's trying to get rid of the barriers so that people can come in and they can worship God. So now that we've seen the actual event that happens, there's, this something, that, there's something that John gives us that none of the other gospel writers give us of this account, and it's this conversation about why he's doing this. What's the importance? Like, what is Jesus doing that's new? What's the new thing that Jesus is bringing? Why is Jesus angry? And we've already said this, but it's it's worth restating. Jesus isn't angry because people are trying to make money uh, or that people are trying to make a living off of, of being farmers. Jesus is angry because the money and other distractions are getting the way, getting in the way of dwelling with God. The thing that he is passionate for, the thing that he loves, the people that he loves, when they're separated from him, that receives his wrath. That receives his indignation. And Jesus is committed to making a way for us to dwell with him. At the same time that Jesus is saying this is meant to be a place where, so he's affirming the goodness of this act of coming to be with God, he then does something really significant. He then introduces the concept that this is not forever and that a new way of coming to God is unfolding in him. Look at the conversation that happens. A place for dwelling with God is coming that's not just this temple that you can be kept out of by money or animals. So the Jews said to him, look at verse 18, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? This is probably the Jewish leaders. So, hey, you're doing all this, you're coming in here and wrecking house, who are you? What are you? You're acting like a prophet They have a category for this. You're acting like a prophet. Show us a sign to prove that you have the authority to do what you're doing right now because you're just some guy walking in here. You're a teacher maybe, and you're acting like an authority. What sign are you going to show us that you have the authority to do this? Jesus answered them, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Now, in immediate context, they're thinking, what are they thinking? It's taken 40 years 46 years to build this temple. So Herod, you know, tried to bankroll this. It took him a long time. It's a gorgeous complex uh, by all accounts. Every historical record we have of it, it was incredible. Um, It was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Um, But you're going to, it took us 46 years, and you're going to do this in three days? They're thinking of the temple, the, the, the building, aren't they? But Jesus didn't say, I will rebuild it. He said, I will raise it up. It's a difference. And John tells us in verse 21, he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus uh, had spoken. So God's solution for the temple and the problems of the temple and even for the temple being a temporary arrangement for coming to God, his solution is to send his son to die and to rise. See, it's actually a repeat of the message from last week, but there's, a, there's another element here. Um, how is it 
that when Christ rises from the dead, that it becomes a new temple for us to dwell with God. When Christ rises from the dead, he is now a new temple for us to dwell with God in. How's that possible? Because after he rose, where did he go? He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So here we are. We're still, where do we go? Um, Christ is the new temple and the new dwelling place of God. And when he is raised, he becomes the new temple in this specific way. If you turn over to John 14, he tells us later on with his disciples. John 14, verse 1. They're having this exact same question. They're like, okay, you're doing something new. You're providing a new way. There's this new uh, weather system coming in, to use that metaphor again. How are you establishing a new dwelling place with God, Jesus, if the physical place is gone? What, what does it look like? He says to the Samaritan woman, hey, she's like, hey, are we supposed to worship you in that temple on Zion? Or our people say on that mountain over there, which one is right? And he says, uh, true worshipers will worship him not on that mountain or on that mountain, but in spirit and in truth. Look what it says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So, and then he says, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough. And they're still confused. How is it that you're the way to this place? Look what he says further down in verse uh, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Okay, keep talking. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, Why? For he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay? Here's my lunch. I'm having a prop today. I hope you guys are okay with that. I didn't have plastic, so hopefully this doesn't drop. So we're going to imagine this is the father. Big one. This is the son. This is heretical, by the way. If we're saying he's not better or bigger than the son, so that would be heretical. But just go with me. It has to be able to fit inside of it. Okay, Father, Son, and this is where it gets a little backwards. Us, Spirit, okay? So, the Spirit who dwells with you will be in you. Great, we have the Spirit. But God is still here. God is in us, so we have him at a distance. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will be no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. So Jesus is now in the Father. He returns back to the Father. Father, here's Jesus. And I am in, sorry, that I am in my Father and you are in me. So here we are with the Holy Spirit uniting us to Christ. We are inside Jesus who is inside the Father. Boop, boop. So now where do you dwell? By the Spirit. In the Father, in God. God is in you and you are in him and he is in himself. 
So, how is that different? Think about Sinai. Let's go back. They're in Egypt. We're going to have to reassign what our little things are. So let's say this is the temple, okay? Or this is the mountain or the tabernacle, whatever you want it to be. And this is God. Israel is brought out of Egypt to the mountain. God comes down on the mountain and says, come up here and serve me. And they get, they get close and they get afraid and they stand off. And then he makes the tabernacle. So he descends on the tabernacle and they have to make sacrifices to get close and to try to get into the tabernacle with God. But they're still separated, aren't they? There's still this little, there's the veil that was torn. So they try to get as close to God as possible to dwell with him in the same vicinity, in the same holy place, on the same mountain. And that's what's going on in this temple. Now, was that bad? No, it was way better than being in Egypt. It was very good. And in fact, uh, it was supposed to show us how to get back to God. But then when Jesus comes and establishes a new and greater covenant, he himself becomes the temple. He himself becomes the tabernacle. So we dwell in Jesus. Excuse me. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Unites us to Jesus. We dwell in Jesus. And the Jesus is in the Father. So no longer do you just try your hardest to get as close to God as possible. No longer do you have to sacrifice animals to get as close to God as possible. No longer do you wonder, gosh, in three months, what are we going to do with our kids when we have to make the long journey to Jerusalem from way up north? How can you be with God no matter where you are in the entire world right now? How can you be with God? By the indwelling Holy Spirit. So he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. What is true now spiritually, and this is the turn. This is the turn. Jesus says in John 17, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, that's us, that they may be with me where I am to see my glory. So there is still this physical distance, even though this is true spiritually, there's still this physical distance of the embodied Christ, us embodied in earth. There's a distance between earth and heaven. But this is the good news of Revelation. One day, earth and heaven will be one. And one day, there will no more be a temple because God himself will be the temple and he will wipe every tear away from their eyes. Do you see how this works? See how there is now union with Christ, there's dwelling with God, and there's being at home in God. So the new thing that Jesus brings is a way of dwelling at home and being at home with God that cannot be taken away and is uh, in our souls and in our being in a way that approaching him in a physical location will never, never accomplish. It's a soul-deep dwelling. So we dwell in him and he in us and in the, in the, in the Holy Spirit, in the Father. That's, that's the, the Trinitarian gospel, that we are united to God by the Holy Spirit through the Son. And so how, how does that... Okay, David, that's really awesome, great, you know, great uh, illustration, but... So what? Or maybe, it, maybe you didn't think that was a great illustration. Maybe you're like, I'm lost. Forget the, forget the Pyrex. Okay. So, so what? So what? Um, here we are on Mother's Day. What does it mean to make a home? What does it mean to be at home? Does it mean that we have to perform our way? 
Does it mean that we have to have a perfectly clean house? Does it mean that our kids have to be perfectly well-behaved? Does it mean that our relationships have to be perfectly maintained? Do we have to offer just the right sacrifice? Do we have to get to, we need to take the best vacation so then it'll be all right, like the, the Verbo commercials where it's like, come here and you'll really be great with, as a family. It'll be awesome. You'll arrive and everyone will be happy. You, surely you won't be stressed and fighting as you unpack your, you know, who has what room and surely it'll be great the whole time where you, when you don't know where all the cooking stuff is. Like, surely you'll be at home when you're in your vacation home. Or maybe it's not the home. Maybe we really just need to get into nature. Maybe God's in nature and I can't find him where I'm at in my house. Maybe I can't find him in my everyday life because I'm too busy. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna go into the wilderness or I'm gonna go camping or I'm gonna go on a vacation on the beach and that's where God is. Or all this American uh, culture and, and new uh, uh, consumeristic stuff is just, God's not in it and I've gotta go back to the old world. Maybe I'm gonna go over to Europe you know, or I'm gonna go into the, 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 the remote, remotest places of the world. Like where am I gonna find God? We're always asking ourselves this question. In what relationship? In what place? The answer is that in a moment, if you stop, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything more than say, Father, in the name of Jesus, here I am. And what's available to you is to be at home with your heavenly Father who loves you and is passionate about you right now. That's available to you. Loneliness is an epidemic. Um, as, as recently as September of last year, a third of our nation said they were lonely, according to a Harvard study. Upwards of 60% of young people and 50% of, of mothers with young children um, as recently as April, another poll was done. It's actually gone down since the pandemic, which is, uh, makes sense. Um, but still as high as 17% of people, 25% of young people would say they feel lonely. Uh, yesterday I felt lonely was the question. Like loneliness is hard. And I'm not saying this is like you shouldn't feel lonely, you should just pray more. But what I'm saying is our home is established in God through Christ. And if we try all these other measures to, to cope with our loneliness, Consuming things, alcohol, food, fake community, online community, all these different things are never going to solve the problem. Trying to make the perfect house so that your kids feel at home. No, the only way that we can be at home, the only way that we can finally be at rest is when, we're, when we are in the Father through the Son by the Spirit. And so have you been with Jesus? today. Hopefully right now you can say that you are. And in your own time, are you with Jesus? Are you dwelling with him? Are you taking advantage of and are you actually tapping into that new way of being with God that's available to you? Because that has to be the foundation of our lives. It has to be the foundation of our relationships in our home life, in our public life, in our work life. And nothing else is going to solve that for us. So I pray that today that you would know that you have a home with God. I pray that today you would know that you can go to him any moment, at any time, and be at home with him in Christ.
and that there's not some system that you have to perform, there's not some system of sacrifices, there's not some uh, place that you have to go, there's not any way that you have to prove yourself that you can go and be at home with God. To the glory of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen.